Thomas the rebound. He's got Dantley and Dumars. Goes to Dumars, who lays it in, and quickly the Pistons have come the Laker lead to four. Isaiah Thomas is hurt down on the court underneath the basket. I couldn't tell what happened. Mike Abdenauer, the trainer, is with him, and, and the Pistons are going to have to call a timeout, and this one is a tough one. Holding his right ankle, Billy. Well, he made that pass to Dumars. He might have come down on somebody's foot and twisted that ankle. And we see right now that Isaiah's coming back in the ballgame, but right now the Pistons are in the penalty, and the Lakers have only committed one team foul. And that tells you the aggressiveness. Eight-point lead for the Lakers, 74 to 66. Three and a half remaining in this period. Thomas with the looper scores. Now here's Isaiah beating Worthy, going up with that floating one-hander. Isaiah's shooting eyes still on. He has 16 points in the quarter, 28 in the game. Thomas off balance. Basket pounds and a foul as he goes into the first row, and he is still limping. He is a game performer. He's got to be hurting and limping, and he continues to put the points on the board for Detroit. You know, Michael Cooper does a good job defensively stopping the penetration. He has 30 points. He has hit 8 of 10 baskets here in the third period, trying to keep the Pistons close. Thomas goes for three and hits it. What a third quarter for Isaiah Thomas. He has scored 21 points here in the third to bring the Pistons all even at 77. And the Lakers, now the Pistons with Rodman. Two on one, Thomas goes up. And Isaiah Thomas having an incredible period. He has 35 in the game, 23 in this period. He has been a one-man gang. And the shot again by Thomas. It is 81-79. The period is over. Can you imagine the great performance? Maybe one of the best we've ever seen in one quarter in NBA Finals history. So, I don't know if you're a basketball fan, but thank you for indulging me. Uh, I'll never forget watching that in 1988 when I was 16 years old. I was ending my junior year of high school, and that was a life-changing day for me because that was the day I decided to give basketball another try. Now, I don't know if you realize, but I am not very tall. And not very tall people are not usually very good at basketball. But when I watched Isaiah Thomas that day, he was the shortest man on the court that day. Did you notice that? He was the shortest man on either team that day. He's one of the shortest people in the whole league. And when I watched him running circles around all those big guys on a bum ankle, I was like, yeah, I, I could do that, right? And I watched him and I was inspired. And so for the next year and a half, I took certain things out of my life, I added certain things to my life, and I practiced and tried real hard. And when I got to college down in Charlotte, North Carolina, I tried out for the basketball team. And guess what? I made the team. What you are looking at is your five foot four pastor is a former college basketball player. I bet you didn't know that. And I bet you if I had told you that, you wouldn't have believed me. Okay, it's one of those two truths and a lie sort of things. You would have, you would have said that was the lie, right? Uh, but it's a true story. I played a year of college basketball. Now it's probably, it sounds more impressive than it actually was because I was pretty much a bench warmer who rarely got to play in the regular games. Uh, but I still had a lot of fun traveling around with the team. They listed me at five foot seven in the program. I don't know why they did that. Uh, it's probably because five foot seven sounds more intimidating than five foot four, I don't know. Uh, but it was, it was a blast and I had a lot of fun doing it. But listen, what happened to me was 
I saw the glory of Isaiah Thomas and I wanted to be like him. And I was willing because of that to take certain things out of my life, add certain things to my life to pursue it. And the exact same thing is true when we come to Colossians chapter three. This is what's going on in Colossians chapter three when it comes to Jesus. And I wanna show you this. Let's look at this. Colossians chapter three, verses one through four. We covered this a couple weeks ago. But look at this. It says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And you remember a couple weeks ago, if you were here, we looked at this, and we looked at Jesus in all of his glory. We looked at his past, we looked at his present, and we looked at his future, and we saw that there is no better past than the past of Jesus. There is no better present than the present of Jesus. There's no better future than the future of Jesus, and it all can be ours through simple faith in him. Right, and we looked at this together a couple weeks ago. Then last week, Pastor Jay walked us through verses five through 11 that talks about what starts to happen in your life in light of this. When you see Jesus in all of his glory, when you see him for who he is, it changes you. Things start to change in your life, and this is what we saw in verse five. It says, put to death, therefore, and that therefore is a cool word because that therefore is therefore something. It points back to this Jesus that you just saw in all of his glory. And when you see him for who he is, therefore, take some things out of your life. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. When you see Jesus for who he is, when you put your faith in him, there are certain things you just want to be rid of. You want to be done with. You want to put off. You want to kill in your life. Things like sexual immorality, things like anger, things like deception, right? If you were here last week, wasn't Eric's video just amazing? Wasn't it? Where where Eric got so real and raw and transparent with us, and I'm so proud of his wife for supporting him in all of this, to come before all of us and talk about, hey, I have something in my life that I wanted to get rid of. I wanted to put it off, it was holding me back, it was keeping me from all that Jesus wants for me. And I've decided in my life that Jesus is better and I wanna be done with this. And he's done the hard work. And he's inviting you into his struggle with him now so he can share with you some of what he's learned, right? And some of you men should sign up for that. But listen, then we watched uh, watched Matt's video where he talked about his struggle with anger in his life. And how he's overcome this bitterness and this hostility And he's put it off because he's seen. These two guys are convinced that Jesus is better than lust. Jesus is better than anger. And so they're putting these things to death in their lives. And this is what happens when we see Jesus for all he is. And now this week, we're going to see that there are certain things that you put on. Things that you want to live out in your life once you see Jesus for who he really is. Look at this, verse 12 through 14. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, Put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And so I see three steps in the progression from verses 1 through 14. Here's pretty much what I want to unpack today is these three things. Number one, look and like. Number two, take it off. 
Number three, put it on. So here's the first question. When you look at Jesus, do you like what you see? If Jesus was a Facebook status, would you like him? Right? When you look at Jesus, do you like what you see? Do you want to be like him? Because look, you will make no progress in your relationship with God until you look at Jesus and you like what you see. This was me in 1988 when I looked at Isaiah Thomas and I liked what I saw. And I was willing to put certain things out and put certain things in in order to be like him. And you and I will never be pleasing to God until we look at Jesus and we like what we see. Now this is huge and this is life changing because Jesus is very different from anything else you're gonna see in this world. Do you like what you see? The world says pursue sexual immorality, pursue sexual pleasure, Whatever feels good, do it, right? The world says, but Jesus says, it's the pure in heart who are the really happy ones. When you look at Jesus, do you like what you see? Jesus was sexually pure. Jesus, you know, was never married. You know Jesus never had sex one time ever his whole life? Jesus was single his whole life. And you know he didn't miss out on anything because you know sex is just a shadow that points beyond itself to something so far greater. Do you know it's just a pointer to the love and the beauty and the pleasure and the glory of God? And Jesus had the substance and he didn't need the shadow. Do you know this? Jesus was sexually pure. Now if you're married, it's a beautiful and great thing to enjoy. It's a gift from God and you should enjoy it. You should drink from the river of that delight, right? That's the way the scripture talks about these things. Very directly, it's a gift from God to be enjoyed in the right way and in the right place. So when you look at Jesus, you see where he stands on sexuality. Do you like what you see? Do you want to be like him? Sexually pure? The world says to seek revenge or to run away when someone hurts you or betrays you. Right? Somebody comes along, they do something against you, they say something, they make you mad. The world says, get revenge. Or if you're not gonna get revenge, run away. Jesus says something very different. He says, love and forgive and do good to those who hurt you. When you look at Jesus, do you like what you see? A man that when he's hurt, he runs toward the person who hurt him to love and forgive and do good? When you look at Jesus, do you like what you see? The world says, get all you can, spend all you can on your own desires. Jesus says, give all you can to honor God and help others. It's a whole different way of life. When you look at Jesus, do you like what you see? Do you wanna be like him? Do you believe that following Jesus is the path of life where all your deepest desires will be satisfied, including your desires for love and joy and peace and purpose? Do you believe Jesus is where you'll find these things? Looking at Jesus and liking what you see to the point of wanting a relationship with him, to the point of wanting to be like him is what the Bible calls faith. Do you have faith in Jesus? When you look at him, do you want him? Do you want a relationship with him? Do you want to be like him? This is faith. You believe that Having a relationship with Jesus and being like him is better than anything else you could know, any, any, anything else you could do. It's believing that Christ is your life, that Christ is all. And listen, this faith, this looking at Jesus and liking what you see, this faith is the beginning, the middle, and the end of a relationship with God. 
This is the fabric of a relationship with him. And when you put your faith in Jesus like this, when you look at him and you like what you see, it changes you. Fundamentally changes you. And you become a different kind of person who wants certain things. You will want to put to death what is earthly. You will want to put it off. You will, you will want to put off pornography. You will want to put off sexual immorality. You want to put off bitterness and anger and selfishness and deceit because you simply look at Jesus and say, that's better. That's better. I look at Jesus and I like what you see. And then you'll want to put some things on. Look at this again. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And this is amazing because the Apostle Paul who wrote this begins with this just statement of who you are when you put your faith in Christ. He calls you, if you are one who looks at Jesus and likes what you see, he says you are chosen and holy and loved by God. That is your identity if you are one who puts your faith in Jesus. And there is somebody in this room that needs to hear that today. You do not define yourself this way. You let other people define you. You let your past hold you down and, and drag you down and hold you back. But, but, but God comes along and he says, no, 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 no. You are chosen and holy and loved. God has chosen you. He wants you. He wants a relationship with you. He calls you holy. In Christ, you are perfect and spotless and blameless and your past is gone. Your guilt is gone. You are completely forgiven and you are loved by God. Does anybody, this is who we are, chosen, holy, and loved by God. And because, now he's going to say a few things. He says, because you are chosen and holy and loved. Now go act like it. But do you see the order? You don't act like it in order to be chosen and holy and loved. You act like it because you are chosen and holy and loved. And you just become who you are in Jesus. This is what we are called to do. You are these things if you put your faith in Jesus, chosen, holy, love, and because you are, go become what you are. Become like Jesus. Put on holiness and love. Put on a compassionate heart. Feel what others feel and empathize with them. Put on kindness and humility. Be kind to people in their weaknesses. Be patient with them. Bear with them. Forgive them. Because this is how chosen and holy and loved people act. Because they look at Jesus and they like what they see. This is how Jesus is. It's how he's been toward you. Patient, kind, forgiving. You know what the real test is of whether or not you are a person who looks at Jesus and likes what you see? The real test is whether or not you forgive others the way Jesus has forgiven you. If you look at Jesus and like what you see, this is how Jesus is. Jesus is forgiving and patient and loving. If you are holding on to bitterness and unforgiveness towards someone, if you sit in this room today and there is bitterness and unforgiveness in your heart toward another person, it is evidence that when you look at Jesus, you don't like what you see. Because that is not how he is. Now, I'm not saying this is easy. I'm not saying we do this perfectly, right? This is an up and down sort of thing in our lives. I'm just saying it's worth it. It's worth it to take off sin and put on love to become more and more like Jesus because Jesus is better. And so look at Jesus and like what you see. Like that he is forgiving toward those who wrong him. Isn't that good news? 
And don't you want to be like him? Go love others the way he has loved you. But this is a lifelong process. You, you have to do it every day. You've looked at Jesus and liked what you've seen, and then you're going to have to do it again tomorrow. <laughs> and then you're going to have to do it again the day after that. And there are going to be times where you fall down and don't get it right. You have to grow into this more and more. Some days you get it right, some days you get it wrong, and you feel like an idiot. Because that's what sin is, you know. It's acting like an idiot. And there are gonna be days where this is you, where you get it wrong. And so what do you do when you act like an idiot and you looked at Jesus or you looked away from Jesus? What do you do in that moment? Well, you just do it all over again. You look at Jesus and you like what you see and you know what happens? He forgives you every time over and over again. You can make the same mistake 70,000 times and if you come to Jesus, if you look at him and like what you see and you're sorry for what you've done and you come asking his forgiveness, do you know he forgives you every time and he never gets weary of it? This is how Jesus is. Look at him, like what you see. Even when you screw it up, just look at him and like what you see. Receive his forgiveness. He will not condemn you. He will help you change. Do you remember that story of that woman in the Bible that, that was caught in the act of adultery? And everyone wanted to condemn this woman. And they brought it before Jesus, and Jesus says, I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. Look at me, like what you see, and change. Do you know adultery can't condemn you? If, if you're in the room today and you've cheated on your spouse, do you know that cannot condemn you? The only thing that condemns you is if you look at Jesus and don't like what you see. If you want to stay in your adultery, it can condemn you because you looked at Jesus and you didn't like what you see and you don't want to change. Do you know pornography cannot condemn you? Lying and stealing and being deceptive and angry and bitter, none of it can condemn you. You know why? Because Jesus died on the cross for all of those things. He paid for those things. They cannot keep you from God. Only one thing can keep you from God and it's when you look at Jesus and you don't like what you see. And you don't want to be like him. So how do we do this? How do you look and like? How do you take it off? How do you put it on? What does this look like? Look at verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You will be able to take off the wrong things and put on the right things when you let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Now this word for rule is interesting. It's the idea of an umpire or a referee. It's the one who decides what's fair or foul, what's in or out, what's right or wrong. And so what he's saying is let the peace of Christ be the umpire or the referee. You have a problem, you have to make a decision, you're caught in the midst of something, let the peace of Christ be the umpire. Let the peace of Christ be the referee. Let the peace of Christ rule. And so how do you do this? How do you let the peace of Christ rule when all the things we've, talking, we've been talking about are battling for space in your life? Right? Do you feel like you're in a war zone? <laughs> that there's no peace? 
right? The battle of lust and anger, it wages war against you every day. There's a constant battle, right? I mean, doesn't it feel like sometimes there are two yous? One that wants this and one that wants that and they're constantly at war with one another. Don't you feel sometimes like you have sacred schizophrenia? <laughs> like which one is me? Like I find myself pulled in two directions. I, I don't feel at peace. There's a battle waging inside of me, right? This happened last week when Tara came home with this jar of creamed honey with cinnamon. I took one taste of this and I was hooked. I ate the whole jar in just like a few days. Tara didn't get any. I ate the whole thing. Is it possible to eat too much honey? Like, is it a good thing gone bad? I don't know, but I could not resist her. I would walk by that honey and I would say, I shouldn't eat anymore. I shouldn't take a spoon full of honey. Like, that's not what you should do. And that's what I found myself doing. I ate the whole jar. And so there's this battle that rages, right? That's a funny little example, but it's true, isn't it? This, this battle where you, you feel like you're kind of pulled in two different directions. Part of you that looks at Jesus and likes what you see and you want more of him, but there's something else in you that fights against it and there seems to be no peace. And so Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule. So what is this? What is the peace of Christ and how do you let it rule? Well, in the Greek world, the idea of peace had this idea of a truce or a treaty, right? It's more of a wartime term where two opposing sides agree to stop being on opposing sides. And they agree to stop fighting with one another. And they agree to come together and there's a, there's a truce, a treaty, a bond. But in the Hebrew world, the concept of peace was something a little bit different. In the Hebrew world, it carried this idea of an inner feeling of calm and rest and contentment, right? And what's interesting is that in Christ, the Greek world and Hebrew world come together and they become one. And so I think both of these are included and the, the idea of the peace of Christ. When you came to Jesus, you made a treaty with him. Like there was a time in your life when you and Jesus were on opposing sides, right? When you were not looking at Jesus and liking what you saw, but you looked over here and said, no, no, I think this is better and I'm gonna, I'm gonna run after this. And you and Jesus were running in opposite directions and you were not on the same side. There was no peace between you. But then something happened in your life, some, some circumstance, some person came into your life and all of a sudden one day, you came to your senses and you realized, wait a minute, Jesus loves me and wants what's best for me. And he proved it by coming into the world and dying for me. I don't, I don't wanna be on some other side from him anymore. And you went to Jesus and said, I don't wanna fight with you anymore. I wanna join sides with you. I want a truce, I want a peace treaty. And Jesus with his blood signed the covenant. And you were at peace with God. You and God are now on the same side. And that's amazing because it means now you trust and believe that when God tells you what to do, he's for you and not against you. And all of a sudden everything's different, right? Now all of a sudden when God tells you what to do, you say, yes, 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 we're, we're on the same side because I have peace with God. And so now you have an umpire and a referee that tells you what to do. Whatever Jesus says, I do it. And this is now your rule and you let the peace of Christ rule in your heart by faith in him. That's one thing that this means. A problem comes into your life and is it should I or shouldn't I? Well, remember whose side you're on and remember who is on your side. 
We are at peace. I know he loves me and wants what's best for me. And there's this second aspect, though, to this idea of letting the peace of Christ rule. It's this inner feeling, right? This inner rest, this inner calm. If I'm gonna make a decision, the umpire in that decision's going to be, is this going to give me peace? A feeling of contentment and rest. Or is this gonna give me guilt and shame and make me feel conflicted? Am I gonna regret this? You know, I've never met somebody who regretted obeying Jesus. You know where all regret comes from? It comes when you look at Jesus and you don't like what you see. You end up with a whole trail of regret behind you. I don't know about you, I'm not a big fan of guilt. I'm not a big fan of regret. So when it comes time for me to decide what to do, it comes time for me to make a decision in my life, I wanna let the peace of Christ rule. Number one, it means that Jesus and I are on the same team. He's for me. When he tells me what to do, it's going to be better. And number two, I know that when I obey him, I'll have no regrets. I will have inner peace, inner calm, inner contentment. And these are the two questions I ask. This is how I let the peace of Christ rule. Is it consistent with Jesus and I being on the same team? And am I gonna feel good after I do it? You let those two things take over and a whole lot of other things start to make sense. Now you're letting Jesus be the referee. You're letting Jesus be the umpire. And the peace of Christ will rule in your heart, will rule in your life. Then he throws this beauty in. He says, and be thankful. (laughs) Just keep thanking the Lord for everything. It's amazing how much peace you have when you are just saying thank you to God for everything. All the time. You just say, thank you, God. Thank you for telling me what to do. Thank you for this challenge. Thank you for this trial. I know you're with me. I know you're in it. You're the umpire. You're the referee. Yes, God, thank you. I'll do it. You just live your life thankful all the time. And next he adds in how to do this. So you talk about this idea of letting the peace of Christ rule in your life, rule in your heart. How do you do this? He gives you the instruction. He says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. Let the message of Christ dwell. Fill your life with Christ's message. Gather with God's people to be taught by him and to worship him. Put these things on. Take the message of Christ and put it on consistently, purposefully, prayerfully, deliberately. God, when he wanted to to speak to us and communicate to us and give us the rule and give us the umpire and the referee, you know what he did? He wrote us a whole book and gave it to us as one of his most precious gifts. Put it on. Let the message about Christ dwell in you. Let it land in you. Make it at home in your life. Every day, all the time, live with God's word the message of Christ. Wear it around, let it land, dig down deep and be at home, let it dwell. Put it on every day by yourself, put it on every week with his people as we gather here in this room to be taught and admonished and to sing songs about Jesus together. Let the word of Christ dwell among you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart toward God with thankfulness. This is how you let the peace of Christ rule. You let the message about Christ dwell in you and be at home in you. He brings it all together in verse 17. He says, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, 
Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And this is huge, takes it to a whole new level. This is the umpire, this is the referee, this is the goal of everything you say, everything you do as a follower of Jesus. He says, whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In other words, put on the character of Christ, become like Christ in all the little things, in all the big things, whatever you do, do it in Jesus' name, do it as if Jesus were you. What would Jesus do if he were you? Do that. I had a moment where this was tested in my life over the past week. The peace of Christ was tested. Uh, I had this moment where my wife Tara and I, we had this parenting moment where we did not see eye to eye. Uh, Something crazy was going on with one of our kids and Tara didn't like my attitude. She didn't like the way I was reacting to it. She didn't like how harsh I was being and she told me so. Now, men in the room, when your wife directly, forcefully, aggressively says to you, you're wrong and you need to knock it off, what do you do? (laughs) Okay? Now, it wasn't quite that harsh, but that's the way I took it. It was this, this was attack on my manhood. What do you mean, right? And so here I was in this moment, the peace of Christ being tested. So what am I gonna do? Now, thank God that I was working on this message. <laughs> because all this stuff was in my head, right? And so I thought, okay, the peace of Christ needs to rule. So what is that? And so I just said to Jesus, I said, all right, in my head, not out loud. That just would have been weird. Right? So in my head, in this moment, I'm trying to figure out what to act. And right then in that moment, because the message of Christ was dwelling richly in my life, I'd been filling my heart and my mind with it all week long. I was able in that moment to say to Jesus, all right, Jesus, what would you do if you were me? And he enabled me in that moment to be patient and tender and kind and give a gentle answer that didn't stir up any anger or tension. And Tara and I were able to come together, make each other better, and find effectiveness in our parenting in that moment that was way better for our kids than it would have been otherwise. Listen, Jesus was a better umpire than me, a better referee than me. Now, I don't always do so well, but that time I did. All right, and it was a good deal. And listen, let me tell you, it was just better. I mean, there have been times in my life where I have gotten that moment wrong. Anybody relate? The peace of Christ did not rule. You did not look at Jesus in that moment and like what you see and hear him tell you. Give a gentle answer. Be patient, kind. Don't seek your own way. Right, you look at Jesus and like what you see, it's just better, everything's better. Your parenting's better, your marriage is better, your friendships are better, everything's better if Jesus is the one ruling. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do what Jesus would do if he were you. Do it in his name. When you go to work, work like Jesus. When you spend time with your friends, be a friend like Jesus. Take off whatever's not like him, put on whatever is like him. Look and like, take it off, put it on. When you're alone in front of your computer, click like Jesus. What would Jesus click if he were you? Click like Jesus. When you're in front of your husband and wife and you're with them and and, and there's tension, love and like and talk like Jesus. When you're angry, be angry like like Jesus. You know what Jesus does when he's angry? 
He gets so angry at people that he runs toward them to help them and rescue them and save them and forgive them. That's what Jesus does when he's angry. Be angry like Jesus, (laughs) right? When you're disciplining your kids, be firm and patient and gentle like Jesus. When you're wronged or hurt or taken advantage of, forgive like Jesus. When you spend your money, spend it like Jesus. Whatever you do, even if it's drinking orange juice, do it like Jesus. How would Jesus drink orange juice? Might sound like a funny question. It's really not as strange as you think. You know what he would do? He would do it giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's how Jesus would drink orange juice. So when you drink orange juice, do it like Jesus. Say, thank you, God, for orange juice. And you learn to live your life, whatever you do, in word or deed, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And everything's better. But look, this is a process, right? And this is the process. You take something off, you put something on. You move the wrong something out of your life, you move the right something into your life. You let the peace of Christ rule. You look and you like. You take it off and you put it on. I I wanna show you an amazing little video here in a moment from one of my favorite people in our whole church. Uh, Her name is Nancy Richards. And I think Nancy's probably the oldest person in our church. I don't think she, today's her birthday is from what I heard. Today's actually Nancy's birthday. I did not know that first service. But Nancy, I think is 87, 88 years old. I don't know if today her birthday, she turned 88, I think. But I tell you one thing, she might be the oldest person in our church, but Nancy is the most fiery person in our church for Jesus. Anybody know her? She is a a fiery person for Jesus and lives her life doing exactly what we're talking about in this message. Nancy is a person who lives her life looking at Jesus and liking what she sees, taking off certain things, putting other things on, and has been able over a lifetime to live a life that honors God, doing whatever she does in his name, And the things that God has done in this woman's life, I love her, and I love that she's part of our church, and I wanna show you a little video, so watch this. I was probably um, just newly married, moved up here in about 1950, and I was sitting on the front steps of our apartment in River Rouge, and a young man came along and began to talk to me about Jesus. I was probably 20. And um, that day, um, he, he led me to accept Jesus as Lord. It was wonderful. I remember the day because everything in the universe, everything in the world looked new to me. The trees were so beautiful. The sky was so bright. Uh, everything looked different, and that was kind of supernatural, really. My husband worked really, really hard. He worked in the seal mills as a uh, bricklayer. We were sitting watching Billy Graham on TV one night, and um, yeah, he, uh, he really did accept Jesus as his Lord. So that, that gave a, um, a foundation to him. Um, he would use his faith at work um, also, but he was busy working while I was busy getting people saved. <laughs> that, was, <laughs> that was our story. In 1970, it was um, kind of a, a real important year to me because that was when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit at a Catholic charismatic um, prayer meeting. And from that time, my life really made a, a huge uh, jump forward in, in the Lord. 
right away we opened up a ministry called Ixus, which means Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior. It's a sign of the fish. And it was a little ice cream store down in Jefferson and Trenton. And the first time the doors were open, we probably had 50 kids on drugs that were on our doorstep. I, um, at pretty much the same time, my husband and I got involved in uh, volunteer probation work down at the 33rd District Court. And um, we counseled young people that had been arrested. I got to share Jesus with them. <clears throat> it was um, my first involvement with kids in trouble but I found out that I really had a heart for people that were in trouble. I kept in touch with many of them. Some ended up going to jail or prison. I followed them through their time there, and even when they got out, then I would help them get oriented back into um, living again, all the time with Jesus as their help. Jesus as their helper. Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. I could go on and on. I had so many involvements. Um, through my life that it was, um, to put them down on paper was amazing to me that all that you could cram into one lifetime. And it was such a wonderful um, involvement for me to just see young people um, go from one state of life to an absolute freedom in Christ. When I was about um, 40, my sister um, took her own life and um, that threw me into a um, kind of a despair for quite a while. It took me almost a year to um, get over that. There was, I only had one sister, no brothers. So um, my children only had the one aunt. And um, when she was gone and because of the uh, circumstances, it really, uh, I was just very sad for a long time. and. Um, that really kind of um, made me think what, how important life was. And also, it gave me a heart for people that were very, very uh, discouraged and who despaired of life. And that kind of set the tone for um, the rest of my ministries. The challenge for me personally, um, probably my husband dying was a big challenge. Uh, even when my parents died, was was a blow and of course with my sister um, taking her own life uh, was a challenge for me and when my my husband died I was pretty involved with um, helping some people then which took a lot up a lot of my time but it was very lonely and I think all all um, spouses go through the same thing there's a period that you're just very much alone, very lonely, but thank goodness, thank heavens, when I, um, when I feel alone, I can walk with Jesus that day. And uh, he told me, the Lord told me, hold my hand and I'll be with you. The challenges are always not to go to something else to make you feel better, but to go to the Lord. Uh, he definitely... If I'd wake up in the morning and not feel real on top of things, by the time I got done spending time with the Lord, I was right back to normal, right back to where I could function with Him happily. His Word is full of answers for all of our problems, and 
He will direct us to specific things in the Word. Um, the Holy Spirit is our encourager and our uh, helper. I pray a lot, Jesus, you deserve everything in this world that can point to you and give you glory. You deserve it. You sacrifice for it. And I'm going to give you as much of my heart and time and others that I can influence because you are God and we love you. The, the world we live in right now is very anti-God. You know, when I was growing up, it was popular to be Christian. It was popular to be good. You know, nowadays it's, uh, it is definitely not the most popular thing in our culture, but, but God has his ways and he has his, his uh, timing and um, he'll let things get so bad that we know they're bad and then he will step in and do something. So the new age um, comes so close to, to, you know, the real Christian experience and yet it's very deceptive and um, pulls a lot of people in. Uh, I think the greatest gift we can have or ask for is a gift of discernment so that we realize what is true and it comes from inside of us in our hearts right away when we see something that isn't right or isn't from God uh, inside of us goes no 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 <laughs> and uh, I just thank God for that gift because it's been very active in my ministry my life right now and I've heard it for years I've heard the Lord saying there's coming a time when the young generation are going to be the ones that win, win this country to the Lord. And I believe it's, we're on the verge of it right now. I believe it's coming, and I've heard the Lord say, you've never seen anything like it. It'll be way beyond your expectations. So you know that takes a miracle from God. So uh, the young people are the answer, and I just say go for it. Uh, the older Christians need to jump in and help all these young people that God is using and stay engaged. I mean, I'm uh, as engaged now as I was when I was uh, born again or baptized in the Holy Spirit. I'm um, very engaged in what's going on all over the country. I'm in touch with probably 10 different ministries. Um, I read constantly, I pray constantly, and um, look for opportunities. So um, I would say that the older generation, when they retire, even pastors I've seen, when they retire, then they go on to bigger and better things, I guess. And um, that should not be. I, I believe that when we have breath, it can be used for Jesus. We will never, ever be sorry, never, to use everything that we have at our disposal for the building of the kingdom. And we will see our reward. Wow, right? So all I want to say is, I want to be like Nancy, because Nancy wants to be like Jesus, right? Nancy spends her life looking at Jesus and liking what she sees, and she wants to be like him more and more. She takes things off, she puts things on, and she does whatever she does in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. She lets the peace of Christ rule in her heart. I want to be like Nancy. 
because Nancy wants to be like Jesus. Let's pray together. Uh, Father in heaven, uh, (laughs) we look with open eyes today at Jesus and I for one can say I love what I see. I pray for all these eyes in this room, the eyes of our hearts, Lord, that they would all be wide open to you and that we would look at Jesus and we would like what we see, Lord, that we would love what we see, that we wouldn't turn away from Jesus and think there's something better somewhere else because there just isn't. Lord, the person in this room that is farthest from you today, would you open their eyes so that they can see clearly. Stop being blind to how great Jesus is. Help those of us that are his followers to shine his light and to show the world what he is like. That we would be the chosen, holy, and loved people of God and that we would go out into this world and act like it, letting the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. Because Jesus and us are on the same side. The same team. He is for us, not against us. We are for him, not against him. We are at peace with God through him. And when we listen and follow and obey him, there are no regrets. Lord, help us to turn away from everything that would bring regret and turn straight to Jesus and follow him with every word and every deed. It's in his name we pray, amen, amen.